God had promised the people that someday he would bring them back to their land. And, as promised, the people began to return to Judah. Once there, Zerubbabel and the prophets had spurred the people on to finish the temple, the Jews' central worship site in Jerusalem. A half century later, a respected priest and teacher of the law from Babylon by the name of Ezra took a serious interest in making sure that God's law was heard and followed again now that the people had returned home. Ezra was a teacher well-versed in the laws of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem. Loaded down with the king's gifts and supplies, Ezra led several thousand fellow Israelites on a journey to Jerusalem. He found the temple in good order, but he also discovered that the people were intermarrying with neighboring cultures who worshipped other gods. God's law clearly warned the people against such actions. Appalled, Ezra tore his clothes in grief and wept as he prayed, confessing the people's sin and asking for God's mercy. Convicted by Ezra's display of remorse, the people of Jerusalem repented. About 13 years later, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king of Persia, a position of esteem, received a visit from his brother, who brought news from Israel, from Jerusalem. He told Nehemiah that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates had been burned with fire. Nehemiah decided he would lead the people in rebuilding the city's walls. After praying for God's help, Nehemiah approached the king of Persia as a mission of this scale would need his permission. The king was pleased to send Nehemiah on his way with letters for safe conduct and supplies. Hard work lay ahead, long days and restless nights. But Nehemiah packed and led his caravan toward Jerusalem. going to be wrapping up today with uh, the story. There'll be one more message next week for the summer series that'll kind of summarize the, the whole summer. Uh, but today we focus in and kind of bringing the Old Testament at least uh, to a close uh, with uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, Malachi. And the theme for today is rebuilding walls. But uh, I'm hoping that by the time we're done, you'll see that what God is really doing here, the big story of what God is really doing here is not about just rebuilding uh, walls, but about be rebuilding uh, a temple. So let's get into the history of it and get ourselves placed. Uh, we have been with God's people as they were in exile, remember? They were uh, in exile after Jerusalem was destroyed in Babylon. Finally, the Persians uh, took over Babylon. And it's during that time uh, that uh, Cyrus gives his edict, the king of Persia gives his edict that, that the Jews can go back 
uh, to Jerusalem. And so we get the first wave of Jews going back in 536, uh, and uh, that's under Zerubbabel. Say that three times real fast. Zerubbabel, three times. No, I'm not going to do it. Anyway, but that's when we looked at Haggai and Zechariah, uh, the prophets, right? Uh, now we get to the next wave of folks that go back. There's ultimately three waves of, uh, of folks, Jews, that go back to Jerusalem. The second one is under uh, Ezra in 455 B.C., so that's some 80 years or so later. Uh, and then the third wave comes just 10, 12 years later under uh, Nehemiah. And it's important to not just know, you know, that they go back in three waves, but to see the focus of what happens uh, with each wave, right? So Zerubbabel goes back, and his focus is really clear, right? He goes back with the intent purpose of rebuilding the temple, right? Rebuilding that opportunity for worship, that symbol of God's presence and favor uh, on his people. And so he goes back, and he focuses on rebuilding the temple. Now, remember, uh, they get started, they get delayed because they get self-absorbed. They're living in luxury houses, remember, and it takes Haggai and Zechariah to come along and say, come on, let's go. Let's get this building program going. And uh, so they do finally accomplish the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, But then the second wave that we're going to look at today with Ezra, Ezra comes back and we'll see that he's really about starting to rebuild relationship, not just in worship, uh, but we'll see through the Word. And then the third wave comes along with Nehemiah, and he's focused on rebuilding the walls. But not just rebuilding walls, rebuilding walls so that God's people can have that haven for worship and Word and a future, right? That's really what's going on. So let's look at the first guy, uh, Ezra, okay? What do we know about Ezra? Well, uh, Ezra uh, was a priest Uh, But he was born in Babylon. He was uh, not born in Jerusalem. He's born in exile, but he comes from a priestly family, right? And he can trace his lineage uh, back to the last high priest that served in Solomon's temple. And uh, Scripture makes a point to say he can also trace his lineage all the way back to Aaron. And so he is well-grounded, Ezra, in terms of being from a priestly uh, family. Uh, But that's not the only important thing about Ezra. Not only does he come from a priestly family, but uh, Ezra 7, 6 tells us where his heart is. This is really big. It says, This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses. What did you just learn about Ezra? This guy loves the Word, right? He has a passion uh, for the Word. He has a heart for the Word. He is consumed from the inside out. We just sang it. Consumed from the inside out with God's Word, right? And because he's consumed with God's Word, it leads him to take the step to go to the king of Persia and make his desire known to go back to Jerusalem. And an amazing thing happens. It says he goes to the king, and the king gave him everything he asked for. Now think about that for a minute. Why would the king of Persia, okay, the king of Persia, he's the guy that runs the whole empire of Persia, huge empire of Persia. He's not a believer, 
right? He's not a Jew. He's not a believer. He's not a one, God, one of God's own people. And yet when Ezra goes to him, he opens up the treasury of Persia. He not only gives Ezra permission to go back to Jerusalem, but he opens up the treasury of Persia and gives Ezra gold and silver for his journey and for his mission back to Jerusalem. He goes even beyond that. He tells Ezra that before he leaves, he can take up a free will offering, put out the basket. He can take a free will offering among God's people to raise funds to go back and rebuild this relationship in Jerusalem. What would cause the king of Persia, who is self-absorbed and all about himself, to do such a thing? The answer is in the verse. So Ezra comes up to Jerusalem from Babylon. The king gave him everything he asked for. Why did all that happen? Because. Well, it happened because the gracious hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Why did this happen? Because Ezra, Ezra was operating inside the desire and the will of God for his life. And because he was inside the desire and the will of God for his life, it says God's hand was upon him. Okay, here's a quiz. How many people would like to be able to say and know God's hand is upon you? That's right. Every hand in the room ought to be up right now. Amen? Right? Holy cats! Can you think of a better place to be in life? Can you think of a greater place to be than to know, to experience the reality that God's hand is on your life and to see the fruit of His hand working in and through your life to the point that a non-believer, the king of Persia, would open up his treasury and just give you whatever you need. This is a great place to be. Amen, good? This is an awesome place to be. How did Ezra get in such a place? How did it happen that Ezra could be in such a place where he's inside the desire and the will of God and he is receiving that favor in that hand of God on his life? Ezra 7.10 says, well, this was because Ezra had determined, okay, so Ezra had understood, come to believe This is the highest and best use of his life. He said, Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. What was Ezra about? Not only was he consumed with a passion for the word of the Lord, but he was also consumed with a desire to share that with Jerusalem. This was his purpose. And God could not refuse but to put his hand of favor on Ezra because he was operating inside God's will and God's desire. How did Ezra get there? Because he studied and obeyed the law of the Lord. He was consumed with the word. Do you see the formula? Do you see how this works? 
he was absolutely consumed with the Word. And because he was absolutely consumed with the Word, he could discern and understand what God's desire and purpose was for his life, to go to Jerusalem and share the Word with the people there. And so God's favor was upon him because he's inside the will and the desire of the Lord to the point that the king of Persia would open up the treasury of Persia to make this happen. How good is God? You see how that works? This is where we need to be. This is the desire of where we get consumed from the inside out by God's Word. That's Ezra. Okay? That's Ezra. Now let's take a minute and look at this other guy, Nehemiah. He's also in the picture for us today. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a guy who goes back and rebuilds the walls. But it's not just rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. He is rebuilding the possibility of a future for Jerusalem. If you're a city and you don't have walls in those days, you could be overrun with a blink of an eye, right? And so the word comes back to Nehemiah from his brother who visited Jerusalem. He brings a sad word saying, man, the place is really in trouble because the walls are torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Uh, Nehemiah hears this. He weeps over it and he gets his burden to go back to Jerusalem. And God has put him in a place of influence He is the cupbearer for the king of Persia. He has access now to the king of Persia. This is 10, 12 years, 13 years after now uh, Ezra has gone back. Nehemiah is in a position to be able to speak with and influence the king of Persia. He comes before the king of Persia. The king sees him and says, why are you looking so sad? As uh, Nehemiah shares what's on his heart, that his city and his ancestors, that the city of his ancestors is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed. And then the king says this amazing thing. This is what you want to hear from a king, right? Well, how can I help you? Nice thing to hear from a king, right? You're struggling, you're in trouble, and the king of Persia, the king of the whole empire says, Hey, anything I can do? Pretty good deal, right? Look what's happening. God has placed Nehemiah in this position of influence. Nehemiah is willing to step in and take a little risk and go act on what God's put on his heart. And now the king of Persia, the same king, is saying, anything I can do? Look what Nehemiah does next. With a prayer to God, to the God of heaven... He does that thing that we do, right? That, that, that little thing we do just when we got this opportunity we know is a God thing, but we're really nervous about it and anxious about it. And what do we do in our head in that, that 10 seconds before we say our first word? We offer up that quick prayer, right? Anybody been there? Nobody's been there. Come on, you've all been there, right? You know, you, you just know this is a God moment. This is a God, God's put you in this position, but you're nervous. You're kind of anxious. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. And so you just kind of say, Lord, oh, come on, I think I'm going to do it, right? And you just, boom, you step into it. That's what he does. God has placed him in the position. He's given him the burden for Jerusalem. He's in that position of influence with the king of Persia, the most powerful guy around. And now he just offers up this quick prayer And it says, if it pleases the king, if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors were buried. What's Nehemiah do? Nehemiah equally acts on what he understands to be the desire of God's heart for his life. He offers up that prayer. He's in that position. And he just simply 
steps into the possibility. And God's favor, God's hand is obviously upon Nehemiah as well. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He surveys the situation. He begins the reconstruction of the walls. There's great opposition. He has to kind of hold a spear in one hand and build with a brick in the other hand. But nonetheless, he overcomes the opposition. He he inspires the people. They overcome the opposition. And it says that the wall was finished in 52 days. This is a record uh, construction project. He finishes building the walls in 52 days. And when the enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. Why? Because they realized this work had been done with who? With the help of God. What's going on with Nehemiah? He is obviously fulfilling God's will and purpose because he stepped into, took the risk, and stepped into that place of influence that God had placed him. He took the risk and stepped in with a God dream to rebuild those walls, and now the fruit is there in 52 days. It is obvious God's hand of favor is equally upon Nehemiah. Wouldn't you agree? This is great stuff. So we got these two guys we got these two guys who in their own life experience, in their own story, are stepping into and consumed with this passion. And they go back to Jerusalem and they accomplish what God wants. They accomplish the purpose and desire of God for their lives. Is this what we want? Absolutely, right? To be in that position. How does that happen? We get, a, uh, we get a, a glimpse, we get an understanding of how that happens when we look at Nehemiah uh, 8. Okay? This, this all comes, the pinnacle point of Ezra and Nehemiah, of that whole experience, is in Nehemiah 8. So God has sent Ezra back, God has sent Nehemiah back. Uh, Ezra comes back with a passion for the word. Nehemiah comes back and he rebuilds the walls. So what's going on? So far, worship has been reestablished with the temple being rebuilt. Ezra comes back and the word is now there and present. And God has created an environment for that to flourish with walls being built. And it takes place in Nehemiah 8. In Nehemiah 8, it says, All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. Here's what happens. They build a special platform for Ezra, right? And so Ezra goes up on this platform, and all the, all the folks uh, gather, men, women, uh, children old enough to understand, they all gather, and Ezra reads the word. He just reads the word. It's here. Uh, the priest brought the book of the law before the whole assembly, included men, women, children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. Let's see. From early morning until noon. Any guess how many hours? Okay. We're only going to be in here about an hour and hour and ten minutes maybe, right? They were there for six hours. Six hours. The whole assembly stood there and just received the word. What's going on? Worship is rebuilt. 
And now God rebuilds a relationship with his people through the word. The temple is rebuilt. Worship is rebuilt. But that's not enough. God now unleashes his word in the midst of the people. And that relationship is rebuilt through that word that's passed out. It doesn't stop there, right? They're in the midst of this whole experience. They engage in worship. It says they bow down and they worship the Lord. So we got word. We got worship. You can't miss this one. And the Levites, the Levites, every so often they paused. And the Levites then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. So they're all still standing there for six hours. And every so often during the six hours, they would take a break. They would pause. And guess what they would do? They would get into small groups. You knew that was coming, right? You kind of knew that was coming, right? But here's how it works. This is why we tell you this often, 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 often. Why? Look what's happening in this pinnacle moment, right? As God is rebuilding and putting his hand of favor on his people. What's going on? Worship, being consumed by the word, and being together in conversation with God's people. How, how do they experience understanding, discerning, being in that position of favor, of having God's hand on their life? We all agree, that's what we, we'd love to have that, right? How does that happen? They're in worship, they're consumed in the Word, and they're in conversation with God's people. Can we do this? You see, and God rebuilds not simply Jerusalem, but he rebuilds a relationship. He rebuilds a relationship. Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate a feast of rich food, sweet drink, share gifts. They're sharing. Share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Do not be dejected and sad for what? The joy of the Lord is your They have radical generosity, they have joy, and they have the strength of perseverance. How does this happen? Worship, word, and conversation of God's people. Outcome, radical generosity, joy, and perseverance of strength. Is that good? That's pretty clear. That's good stuff. You know why it's really good stuff? Because some of you this morning don't have a lot of joy. Life's been beating you down. You just don't have a lot of joy. Some of you this morning just don't have a lot of strength. You've been beaten down and perseverance is tough. What I can tell you is God is ready to bring joy and perseverance of strength back into your life with word, with worship, with word, it was the sport of God's people. Does it always stay that way when we're in worship, when we're in the word, when we, we're gathering God's people? Does that mean everything in life is going to be great? No, it doesn't. Because we are prone to wander. We sing a song about that, prone to wander. We're prone to wander, right? 
We're prone to wander. And so God's people, they went through that experience in Nehemiah 8. God's favor was on them. You'd think, boy, everything would be awesome and great from that point on. But a hundred years later, another prophet comes along named Malachi. And Malachi, we know, comes along about a hundred years later because of the term they use there for governor. It locates him in that Persian Empire time. And so we know it's about a hundred years later. Why does he come along? Because you have shown contempt for my name, God says. So even though they had worship, even though they had word, and even though they had this relationship with God's people, they still wandered. They still wandered. And they wandered into not offering pure sacrifice and false teaching and marital infidelity. They failed to bring their tithe into the house of the Lord, and they just simply failed to serve the Lord. Have we been there? Are we there? And yet here's the great news today. Malachi says, I am the Lord and I do not change. You see, that same God who worked in Ezra and put his hand of favor on him, that same God who worked in Nehemiah and put his hand of favor on him, the same God who created the possibility of relationship through worship and through being consumed by the Word and being surrounded by God's people, that same God does not change. Change. You know what that means? Today, right now, his heart is in the same place for you. He just wants, desires to be in relationship with you. And he is ready to build that relationship in your life. He is ready to build joy and strength and perseverance into your life. He absolutely proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Where? How? Because he bridged the gap and sent his son Jesus. And Jesus gave up everything. The hand of favor was on his life for sure. And he gave up absolutely everything so that God could be in this room today, so that he could be in your sadness and your sorrow, and he could create the possibility in this worship and through the power of the word being proclaimed and all these Christians surrounding you today, that you, you could return to him. And he, even more important, could return to you. That's what Malachi says. Malachi says, now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. Now, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. That doesn't change. That doesn't change. His desire is still the same. His desire is to rebuild that relationship with you. So that you'll know joy and the perseverance of strength. And you will know the hand of favor on your life. Just like this guy Ezra and this guy Nehemiah. And we'd all love to be there. In worship, in word, surrounded by God's people. With that possibility to just know the favor of God on our lives. Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, this morning for giving us a glimpse of what our lives can be like as we look at the story of Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Malachi being called to be faithful. Um, We look at their lives and uh, we see you working. Uh, You positioned them in positions of influence. You gave them 
the opportunity to just be consumed by your word, to love it and to be in worship and to be surrounded by your people and to accomplish your purpose, to know your favor. Lord, we want to know joy and strength in our lives. We want to know that favor. So we ask today that you would just uh, be faithful to that promise you made in Malachi, that if we humble ourselves and return to you, uh, you're going to be there. You're going to be there in forgiveness, in your grace, and in your love. So today we come before you humbly, we ask, uh, just strengthen us and help us. Help us to stay focused like the prophet Malachi called your people, to not wander, but instead to just stay in worship and word and relationship with your people so that we can be consumed from the inside out and that we can know the joy and the strength of your presence in our life. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It is an amazing thing when you get inside that purpose.